1: To find out about our upcoming events, visit londonreviewbookshop.co.uk forward slash events.
2: Hello, listeners. Since you can't come to the London Review Bookshop at the moment to enjoy our events, we're bringing them to you at home. While we're closed, our new podcast episodes will feature guests who you might, under better circumstances, have been listening to live in Berry Place, as well as previously unreleased gems from our archives.
1: Mm-hmm.
4: To make various sorts of black. According to the Craftsman's Handbook, Chapter 37, Il Libro Del Arte, by Cianinio D'Andrea Cennini, who tells us there are several kinds of black colors. First, there's a black derived from soft black stone. It is a fat color, not hard at heart, a stone unctioned. Then there's a black that is obtained from vine twigs, Twigs that choose to abide on the true vine, offering up their bodies at the last to be burned. Then quenched and worked up, they can live again as twig of the vine black, not a fat, more of a lean color favored alike by vine dressers and artists. There's also the black that is scraped from burnt shells, markers of Atlantic's graves, black of scorched earth, of tort stones of peach, twisted trees that bore strange fruit. And then there's a black that is a source of light from a lamp full of oil, such as any thoughtful guest waiting for bride and groom who cometh will have. A lamp you light and place underneath, not a bushel, but a good clean everyday dish that is fit for baking. Now bring the little flame of the lamp up to the under surface of an earthenware dish. See a distance of about two or three fingers away. And the smoke that emits from that small flame will Struggle up to strike at clay and strike till it crowds and collects in a mess or a mass. Now wait. Wait a while, please. Before you sweep this color, no sable velvet soot off onto any old paper or consign it to shadows, outlines, or backgrounds. Observe. It does not need to be worked up nor ground. It is just perfect as it is refill the lamp Chenini says as many times as a flame burns low refill it good evening it's very very nice to be here thank you
0: ladies and gentlemen good evening um, i am delighted to be here in the company of one of the great poets of our time we are we happen to be old friends
4: you're old
0: uh, Linton, not me. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was the courier. I was the courier who brought the manuscript of our second book, which was our first book published in London, um, I Am Becoming My Mother. I remember bringing that from Jamaica to New Beacon. Anyway, firstly I would like to say congratulations on your award. And um, I'm going to begin with uh, You're going to have to bear with me, because I'm coming from the hospital and they've been putting stuff in my eyes. Um, I'm going to begin with a kind of a banal question. Um, You're the first Jamaican and the first Caribbean woman to have been awarded the prestigious Queen's Gold Medal for poetry. How does it feel to make history? Well, it
4: feels good. I've been lying. It's a beautiful medal. It really is lovely, and um, no, I'm just enormously grateful. I've been writing a long time, and it's you know there are many years where you know I wrote because I had to. I didn't think at any point I would ever receive anything like a prize or uh, anything. And the fact that at this time of my life, when you know my old age, like that, I've been you I know the that way, was the yes I mean, I, <laughs> that something like this has come my way, I can feel nothing but gratitude and just enormously grateful.
0: Um, You've come a long way from the schoolgirl sitting in the lignum vitae tree in a state of rapture, having heard your teacher recite poetry to your class. You were later drawn to the metaphysical and romantic traditions of English poetry and at some point decided to devote your life to poetry. Was poetry for you a kind of spiritual awakening, a calling?
4: I suspect so. I always loved poetry, because when I went to school a long time ago, you had to memorize poems. Also, I went to a school called St. Hughes, where um, almost all our teachers were English at that time. And um, I remember walking into a classroom in first form, age 12, and having a teacher. Her name was Mrs. Juno. just recite um, she, 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 did, she read a poem my Rupert broke about her. A little dog who had a terrible day. You know, that, that, uh, vi- he did a series of vicious crimes, this little canine, terrible things he did. You know, he, he, bit, he bit lumps out of the shins of old frumps and formed furious rabies and bit all the babies. A terrible dog. But of course, he died horribly. But um, so she read that poem and she read uh, just something from the wasteland. And, and then she just read, uh, you know, lo- uh, quite a lot of T.S. Eliot. And she never s- explained anything to us. She simply does allow those poems to do whatever they wish to do with us. And a, a lot of those poems are hardwired into me. She taught us a lot of John Maysfield, and my husband knows that for no reason I will walk around the house saying, It's a sunny, pleasant anchorage up there is kingdom come, where cruise is always laying aft for double tots of rum, and there's dancing and fiddling of every kind of sort. It's a fine place to sail a men, it's that their port, and I wish. I wish as I was there, um, and on and on. Uh, you know, I also know all the all Hilary Bellocks. You know, I can write, recite the thing of Jim, who was eaten by a lion because he ran away from his nurse. It's a long poem, I know it. I don't think I'm answering your question, but what I'm saying is that... Um, it's about
0: whether well, poetry is a calling. <laughs> is it a calling? <laughs>
4: I think, I think poetry had me, it took me over as much as I, I was, it was drawn to me as much as I was drawn to it. That is fair to say. But seriously, when my father died, I was 15 years old. And then I really saw what really the relationship between poetry and myself was going to be. The only thing that I could do for like a year after my father died was read poetry. And that was when my engagement with metaphysical poets began. And I began to listen more carefully. to You know, at, at school you had to sing a hymn every single morning. And I love Reverend Herbert. I love Reverend George Herbert's words, and it began to really mean something to me. So, I think that is when I really began to see that I was going to have poetry was a very, very important part of my life as a source of consolation and healing.
0: Um, you were mentored by the great Saint Lucian poet Derek Walcott, incidentally the first Caribbean poet to receive the Queen's Gold Medal for Poetry. Yeah. In his book, White Egrets, there is a beautifully evocative poem dedicated to you, which was inspired by your critically acclaimed family memoir, Harvey River. What was it like having this literary giant as your teacher?
4: Well, it was wonderful in that the first time he ever, he saw me and he said, you remember Derek, right? Anybody knew him? His manners were lovely, he would say, you, bring your poems, show them to me. And I said, I'm not showing many poems. He's going to be so rude and insulted me, and, I, I, and I'm a tender flower, I cannot take, I cannot take. Them.
3: <laughs>
4: <laughs> so my friend, Helen, who went to school me said, are you crazy, you have to take them, show them to him. So I, with fear and trembling, brought him a group of poems. And he said things like, hmm, sell that one to Hallmark. <laughs> show that one away. <laughs> Yeah, Like, you have to, you're serious, things like that. And then when he had sort of really just done that to me, he had a a few left, (laughs) and he said, let's work with these. And and he gave me my first, and gave me my really only creative writing lesson, in that he spent I I would say about three, four hours just going over them with me. Mm -hmm saying, do this, don't do that. And what he said to me, I still do. A lot of what he taught me that day, I still do. And, um, okay, you know, over the years, he would go over my work with me. He stopped telling me brutal things like that, but he would say, like, that don't work. uh, Just before he died, actually, I was working on a poem with him, and we were still arguing. I would say, I don't like that, and I'm saying. But then I'd gotten more confident. I would say, I'm not taking it out. And he said, well, it's your business, but I don't like it. But anyway, but that's... (laughs)
0: That was my relationship with my (laughs) tutor. Okay, um, in the world of literature, anglophone poets from the Caribbean seem to be enjoying unprecedented attention in the 21st century. I think that it is significant that the University of the West Indies teaches not only English and Caribbean literature, but they also have a course called Literatures in English. Do poets from the Anglophone Caribbean still need validation from the gatekeepers of the English canon?
4: I don't know. <laughs> I, I, think, I think more and more poetry, good poetry is just good poetry. And um, I think a lot, you know, something like, and here I, I will commend you for all that sterling work that you did with Race Today, and especially the Black, the Black Book Fair. Because I think that opened up a whole vista that, you know, people just saw that there was all kinds of poetry being written all over the world. And sometimes even in translation, it was engaging and brilliant. And I don't think so much people think that you need that validation from the quote-unquote gatekeepers. I think something like the International Writers' Program at the University of of Iowa brings writers from all over the world. And I was amazed, I, I, I took part in it in 1983. And there were writers there like Amos Tutuola. And he was like a rock star. See, no, honestly, I've never seen a, a writer get that kind of treatment. Hundreds of people are just sort of cheering him just like a rock star. And so, I don't know if I'm, again, I'm answering your question, but I think that view of, you know, there's a gate and there's some people keeping it and they can let you in or not, it's not, doesn't obtain so much anymore. Do you think so? No. <laughs>
0: Um, keeping on that theme... Um, back to the
4: gate? We're going back to the gate eh?
0: No, not, not exactly. Um, how do you see the legacy of the great Barbadian poet, the late great Barbadian poet, Camel Brathwaite, who saw literary merit in the African-rooted oral traditions of the Caribbean and was a fervent advocate of aesthetic autonomy and new poetics for the post-colonial literature of the region,
4: that's the answer to the question, right, Peterlin? <laughs> really what you just said—we're yeah. no, <laughs> talking about Kamau's legacy. <laughs> I, here know, and I know, I know, not known. Well, he was—he 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 was one of the most important writers we have ever had. You know, usually you have them—it's Walcott <coughs> and 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 Bradford. and you know, there was a time when there were—you know—you either had to be for Walcott or for breathweight. But well, I, I think I would time that, that, that you just see the greatness of both of these men, but Kamal was extraordinary. One of the brilliant things he did was he elevated the teachings of Rastafari, for example, to the level of, you know, he, he gave it all the respect that it was due and it was not getting. So, you know, when he would do all these great readings accompanied by Rastafari drummers at the University of the West Indies, it was unprecedented. He brought the yard into the tower and kept it in the tower and gave it validation. And from that alone, he's a very great man.
0: You know, I was on a TV program back in 1986 with Derek Walcott, and they showed a a clip of Kamau Brathwaite reading Negus. Yes. And, And Derek Walcott said, it, the poem went, it, it, it is not, it is not, it is not enough. Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera. Mm-hmm. Derek Walcott said, "It it it is not a very good poem."
4: <laughs> <laughs> I'm not responsible. For it. <laughs> I told you what you told me that I should sell my work to Hallmark, he's like that. <laughs> <Yeah>.
0: <laughs> you know, um, you you attribute medicinal power to poetry. Yes. And redemption seems to be a recurring theme in your work. Yes. Is poetry for you, among other things, a kind of spiritual balm to cope with the contradictions and ironies of everyday life?
4: Yes, absolutely. Um, some things can only be, you know, I I, cannot, I, I have to turn to poetry to, to process a lot of what ha- is happening in the world, for example. Um, okay, this is my Windrush poem. I know I, I should be... Let's hear it. I had to write this, and it's in sonnet form. It's called Poem, well, uh, Honour to the Windrush Generation. First responders to the call to rebuild England, bomb blasted, needing restoration. Ambitious, courageous bands of pilgrims who acquired the 75 pounds fare and sailed in tailored outfits with brown grips to be met with. Why leave sunshine for here? Still, they spun straw into mortar and brick, washed corpses, nursed the sick, drove two tier buses, toiled underground, and jobbed in dark mills. They made Lovers Rock, Cool Britannia Hot, these remitters of strong pounds to blood kin, gave up the best to God, country, and queen. May respect due, gratitude, high praise songs be accorded this heroic generation. That's the only thing I could do when I think about Windrush. You know, it's not the only thing I can do. But first of all, I, I'll just say here that it had to be a sonnet because that generation were taught in that kind of way. And I wanted it to have form. I wanted it to hold. This is my way of mourning what what is some of the abuse that is the Windrush people are. And I wanted to put it down in this form. There was, I mean... So does that answer your question at all about bomb or so on? Also yes. because...
0: Redemption.
4: Really, it's, 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 redemption. A, it's an actor, hopefully an after redemption, yes.
0: You're greatly admired by a younger generation of poets really? from the, from the <laughs> Caribbean. <laughs> the award-winning Jamaican poet Kai Miller, for example, has acknowledged your influence. Are you familiar with his work or what do you think of it?
4: Well, Kai is everybody's favorite poet. I mean, he's like, your if, I would say blue-eyed, but his, his eyes aren't blue. But um, what I'm saying is that, no, he's a gifted poet. As is, there's some wonderful new young poet. My dear friend, Jackie, Jackie, stand up. Listen, all the young poets in the audience, please stand up, all the poets in the audience, stand up. Will you stand up? No, yeah. Jackie. Jackie Bishop, yes, yes. Are there other young poets? Who, who else in this audience is a young West Indian writer? No? Okay, just you, Jackie. All right. But, <laughs> but they're marvelous poets, and yes, certainly Kai is a wonderful poet. Tanya Shirley. Yes. Oh, I'm. am t- very optimistic and happy about the future Caribbean poetry because all of these young poets they are they are just wonderful. All
0: right then. Uh, one last question uh, before we hear from you again. Um, you've. You're. I think this year is the. You will soon be coming to end to the end of your tenure, as poet laureate of Two Jamaica. Weeks. Two weeks. Two weeks. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so what i what I want to ask you is, how has it been? How was it? And what have you discovered about or learned about the state of poetry in Jamaica right
4: now? Well, poet. Certainly, when I was growing up, I didn't know anybody would say, "I'm a poet." Now, every second person I meet is a poet. What made it? <laughs> Third or fourth, not second, but um, yeah, and the marvelous thing that that I was so, I feel so honored because it allowed me that, being a poet lord allowed me to, to do some things I'd always wanted to do. I was very conscious that at about age nine or so, I began to really think of, you know, poetry really began to mean something to me, and I figured that maybe if I, just interacted with people of, people of that age. And it's been, I started a, a program called Towards All Flowers and Roses, where I got, worked with some young inner city, first just young women, except there was one little boy who wouldn't leave, so we had to just include him. <laughs> uh, where we taught them basic self-defense, because some of these girls live, you know, it's really very complicated and difficult lives they live. But we just had Cherry Natural, who's was a dog poet. she taught them basic um, self-defense moves. And then we read poems all with them, and then they wrote their poems. And some of them were just marvelous. And we did this prog- program several times, and we did one at SOS Children's Village. And you just know that there's, to be a, you know, a gift, some of them are so gifted. There's, they're gifted poets who just are poets, and that's their gift. There's one little boy at SOS Children's Village. He, the only, I think he has one grandparent, but he knows no, he has no mother, no father, nobody. And he's a genius. He's just a, he's just a marvelous poet. I asked him to memorize a, a Langston Hughes poem and recite it. And he had everybody in tears. He's like 10. So I, I just like the fact that I was able to go to these places and find these voices and maybe do something to help them, you know, help cultivate what their you know, gifts. And, that, that's, and also I... Did you, ha- en- did you enjoy it? I loved it. I absolutely loved it. And I, I did I just went, I went to a lot of schools and also I supported festivals. I supported you know, fest, not uh, apart from the big festivals, there are people trying smaller festivals throughout the island. So like there's a guy who was an agricultural seed seed exchange poetry festival. Wow. So I support, you know, I supported him and I took Oh Rastakari. yes, that's right. So I, I got to do a lot of things like that in different parts of the in Hanover I went down there and did readings and And you
0: sponsored some competitions?
4: Ah uh, that's it yes I four prizes the Wyndham Campbell prize allowed me to do that. So we started four, we started with one prize and then we gave two because there were so many gifted people. And then by now we now have four prizes. Everybody wins a thousand US dollars. That's not bad. Nobody ever that's gave me a thousand dollars. Very, $1, very generous of you. Yeah. <laughs> So I took some of my prize money and I started these prizes and we get hundreds of entries now and we're putting out an anthology two weeks in two weeks, all the winners and you know, the runners up on the, from, from these, these competitions.
0: One last question, are you contributing to the forthcoming Louise Bennett centenary anthology?
4: I, don't, I didn't know about it, so probably not. <laughs>
0: That would be a travesty. <laughs> anyway, let's hear some more from you.
4: The poem that really started. You, you, what, what can I see? The poem that is the title poem of that collection you brought to New oh. Beacon for me is called I'm Becoming My Mother.
0: Let's have that then.
4: My good friend Judith Cherniak is here, and she had that poem up on the underground for many years. And it's, it's a little poem. Um, it says, I'm Becoming My Mother. My mother raises rare blooms, and she waters them with tea. Her birth waters sang like rivers. My mother is not me. My mother had a linen dress, which was the color of the sky. And she stored lace and damask tablecloths to pull shame out of her eye. And I'm becoming my mother, who was a Jamaican woman, <laughs> her fingers smelling always of onions. <laughs> These are two short poems called Bam Chichilala, London, 1969. First time I came to London, 1969. Calm as a coromantin warrior bearing his chest to the branding iron, this man was standing outside a corner lands in January wearing a thin floral shirt. One hell of a bitch-cold tore at the hibiscus over his heart, so he unbuttoned button after button, until almost bare chested he stood, calm as a Coromantine warrior, giving it up dry-eyed to the white-hot branding iron. In Jamaica, she was teacher. Here she is charwoman at night in the West End. She eats a cold midnight meal carried from home and is careful to expunge her spice trail with Dettol. She sings Jerusalem to herself and recites the romantic poets as she mops hallways and scours toilets. Dreaming the while of a retirement mansion in Mandeville, she is building brick on brick. Just next door, okay, I I, I won't read that poem. Okay, I'll read
0: it. dance card. What's that? I have a I don't poem know. name dance card.
4: I, I try and find it. OK <clears throat> I, I just read this, but this poem is called "La Casa dos Dorados." Um, Ted and I went to Spain, and we were walking by the store in the Alfama district. Was it? We, we saw in our window a little statue of a black woman. just the, it was really, you know, except she had no clothes on. But somebody had thought ahead and painted her underwear onto her. So, but, so, <clears throat> La Casa de los Dorados, the shop of saintly relics, you call it, where she was on display in her painted on underwear. And the clerk assembled when, pressed to identify the icon of a black woman, one rule and a half high. Limbs hinged, so she sat upright on a ladder back chair, knees together, feet Sheathed in ankle boots, straight-laced, sweet-faced, embarrassed to be seen, not properly dressed in a shop window in the Alfama district. You insist you need to know who she really is. You wait till the owner is summoned and his best guess is she's Our Lady of Montserrat, Black Madonna. What could have brought her to this? Why has she stripped off her clothes to expose her thin white, Temper, chemise, and bloomers. Our lady's home is on a Barcelona mountain. Attempts to bring her to the plains failed. Believers make pilgrimage to her shrine of miracles, but she's come down to us this day, and you're in the valley of the shadow, the dark. The lady has come to accompany through this place on the path where consolations withdraw. Do like her, be still, and yield up all outer.
0: Dance card is in. Um,
4: I, I cannot find. this
0: in,
4: in the, the section. Um. I just I read this poem called "Ode to the Watchman." As we exit from the old city before day, we sight the night watchman at his post, evidence of his vigilance against nocturnal furies, red in his eyeballs. But he did not bow. No, not him. It is right to thank him. or praise to you, O oh beneficent watchman, for keeping guard over us while we slept. Blessed be your eyelids which did not blink even once in solidarity with those lowered shutters, window blinds, and jealousies. You remain awake, ever alert, armed, with only your nightstick, rod, and staff. Your aged cross-mongrel dog rampant at your side, even as the smoke pennant blown, from her rough-cut, filterless hand-rolled cigarettes flew out full staff. For pushing against that grease-stained tarpaulin of despair and not allowing it to befoul us during our needed night rest. For keeping at bay restless rolling calves, trampling down from those sleep hills, their busted old rusty chains, rattling to shake the firm resolve of small hearts. Thanks, Watchy, for keeping them from breaking and entering our little children's dreams. And now, kind watchman, you go home to rest. You who did not seize and beat the beloved as she roamed the streets composing the song of Solomon. Go home, good watchman. The last hot rush of caffeine pins that pricked your blood awake has been rained from your thermos flask, your bread back of night lunch cast upon the keep wake fire in your belly. Cease that un-tile lullaby, you keen. To maintain wake for the sun is here to take your place parties you. <clears throat> now parties is a place is a name of uh, name of a place in Jamaica and actually if you look on the map of Jamaica it is actually at the almost at the heart of Jamaica, Jamaica the heart. And I, my, my very first job after I left school was as a trainee bookmobile librarian. Do you still have bookmobiles? These big buses that go around and you know, books it. It was a lovely job, I really liked it. <coughs> so I'd drive all over Jamaica in this bookmobile. And then one day I drove through a place called Hearties and I thought, "Boy, oh, that's a wonderful name. You know, it's, it's, it would be, so Hearties is kind of my Ithaca. It's my always journey towards hearties somehow, yeah. And many years later, these poems came. I had no idea they would come in, in the way they came in. You know, I had to, like, pull off the road to write them down, because they were pretty intense. But, um, yeah, Hearties too. In what looked like the blackout last week, A meteorite burst from the breast of the sky, smoking like a sensor, It spelled out in incandescent calligraphy, a message for all who had deep eyes, and if you did not see it, I will tell you what it said. It said, cultivate the search my heart, and acres of sincerity grass, and turn your face towards heart ease. Set out a wash pan and catch mercy rain. Forget about drought, just catch mercy rain, bathe and catch a light from this Meteoric flame and sit down, cleanse to tell a rosary of your ancestors' names, a singing chain of ancient names to bind them tight. All who work evil downward through the night and towards morning, the sun will come until you sleep. I'll mark your place with this azure rose ribbon taken from the hidden locks of the dawn, sleep in the day. And you will dream when you sleep the second Sarah of this message. So who here undo that? and sleep in the darkened day, and dream as a sleep, or the hand that draw the veil, for it was not a blackout, the one who flinged the meteor was in a celestial vexation, saying, Imagine, look how I put you so in this most favoured place, and look how you take it, and let's count it. Look how you root up my rarest blooms, look how you take my flower bed, them turn tombs, look how you are red from looking over next one yard, and envying everything you have like a concrete-stressed like a concrete cast-iron lawn and a man-made robot made by man to replace man. I have many names and one is merciful. So in that name I've decided that the veil I draw will be lifted when you look to your condition of your part of this yard, when you stop drawing blood across the promised line in the young people's palms. And when the scribes cleanse their hands and rise to write new psalms. And when you out to the, the entire human race, is you of all people I choose to dwell in this place. So who here sent me here to tell you that we do not know about the intentions of the next one, but we are catching mercy rain in zinc and top pan. And in addition to the sea, Search my heart and the sincerity seeds and the pilgrimage hearties, We shall be planting some one love, undivided, ever-living, healing trees. And next week, if you want to come, welcome, for we're going to set up again to extend the singing rosary of our ancestors' names till the veil is rent from the eye of the sky of everyone, forever and ever. Illumination. Some pictures, mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. That art is your book. Art is um, I don't know if I've told you this before, but that was my my favorite Lorna Godison collection. And I was what I loved about it was the luminosity that um, runs throughout throughout the book. I think we're gonna go to the audience now for some questions. Okay.
5: <laughs> um, so, um, uh, my question for you, Lorna, it's kind of a two-part question, um, and by the way, before I ask my question, I'll just say, whenever you interview um, uh, writers from the Caribbean on this Derek Walcott, um, Kama'u Brathwaite thing, Kama'u Brathwaite is always the huge influence that people talk about mm-hmm. over and over and over again. Yeah. Um, But for for insofar as, and thank you Lorna, for doing some of the major hits um, here tonight, Hearties, I Am Becoming My Mother, and um, The Great Stones Got to Move. I I wish you would talk through how you came to write The Great Stones Got to Move. Mm -hmm. Um, That's the first part of my question. And the second part has to do with um saint hughes and your time at saint hughes now saint hughes is actually um quite interesting to me because most of the women writers in jamaica come out of saint hughes and um i'm i am trying to 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 figure out why this is so if if it's a jean de costa if it's a sharon leach if it's uh, Christine Craig. I mean, I, we were making a list one time and it was St. Hughes, and, and, and it's across generations and I, I, I couldn't quite figure out what was going on at St. Hugh's, so that's
4: the Well, I think we had excellent teachers. We were very, I think, you know, I was thinking about this the other day. It does, maybe sometimes you, you intend one thing on something different. <laughs> Because for some reason, I think maybe because St. Hughes was established by the, the Anglican Church, and um, we St. Hughes was started by a woman who went to Oxford. She was an Oxford graduate, and she set up the whole model for St. Hughes. I think she had been she had read English at St. Hughes at, at Oxford, so she just called the place St. Hughes. And we, the, the the school is <laughs> the patron. You know, it was St. Hugh of Lincoln. Who was a very eccentric and strange man. He walked around with a swan. I said, you know, like you have a dog, you have a swan. And um, our, where our school um, crest has a swan on it. Yeah, and we wore Lincoln green uniforms. It was, it was, it, it's a stuff of poetry. I mean, really, you know, if a metaphor means carry over, that was what happened. You say all this, this, this whole Lincoln, St. Hugh of Lincoln was established in Jamaica at my school. And so we, we just had this, this, this business that you came from. You didn't really come from a local place in a week. The influences were immediately, St. Hugh of Lincoln, guy with the swan. We had a swan. I could sing a school song for you, but it would take up time. But um, seriously, but it was, it was all this imagination. We were really very much from you stepped in there. You were entering a world of some great imagination. And we had all these extra, extraordinary teachers. And I had two particularly amazing English teachers. One was called Miss Priestman. And I learned things from her, which I... Uh, to this day, I marvel at Very quickly, Ms. Priestman came back to, to, the, to, 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 to England, I, I'm not sure which part of England she was from, for one summer holiday. And she came back and she told us this, that she had been to a big dinner at Oxfam or UNICEF, a big fundraiser, and they came and sat down, everybody was already dressed up, and they were served a bowl of soup and a piece of bread. And they thought, oh, interesting appetizer. And then they were told, that's a meal. And then they were told that most people in the world have no more than that to eat for a whole day. And she told us this, and I've never forgotten it. So we had these extraordinary people who were encouraging us to think in these really very, you know, at 12, this is a life lesson you're learning. And also in sixth form, for A-levels, we had, no, we didn't sit in for A-levels, but in sixth form, a mandatory of course is, is in comparative religion, so uh, you know you learn about all the religions of the world, so it was it was a really good school so if anybody if 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 poets come with St. sentence I, I myself'm not particularly you know surprised and I had one astonishing teacher which I, and I have a poem about her in here called lena or who was she she too read English at Oxford and she was very superior, but she was, she was just brilliant, you know she made us love Chaucer and we did. A wide range of things, from a play by John Osborne, some obscure play. I think it was an entertainer, to to Robert Bolt in you know, *A Man for All Seasons*. I don't think the teach should run like that anymore.
0: Yeah. What about um, *Mother the Great Stone* got to move?
4: Oh, what about it? She asked you about <laughs> it. How? How oh, you come yeah, to? Oh
0: yeah. You okay. Come uh, well, record? I
4: a lot of my my work is informed by history, particularly Jamaican history and history of, of, of peop, you know, people in the African diaspora. And that is a, the title of that poem is informed by a revival song. It's a, you know, a, that being a syncretization of an African and a European religion. And so it's, it's, I like the idea of having a song that is trying to actively do something. It, fun, it functions as a charm. So it is saying, it is, it's, a, it's a song for the removal of obstruction. So I'm borrowing from that, 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 that tradition to say that maybe word, what Rastafarian says, words don't have power. So that actually the words can help to maybe even shift it a little. Does that, does that make any sense? All I can do, that's all, can, all poets can do it. You maybe don't have an actual real power in the world, but you can make a gesture. I always tell my students that, even in the, in the, in the most extreme situation, You can always try to make even a gesture that says, I am a human being.
1: Yeah, Yeah, go ahead. Thank you very much. (coughs) Um, I'm interested, as having been born in Jamaica and um, grown up in, I'd say, Halcyon country, uh, because it's such a marvelous place to grow up. Uh, In your contrast with coming to the UK and getting these prizes and so on, and yet doing uh, other work in Michigan, and I wondered whether the contrast between uh, your experiences in Michigan and coming to evenings like this and other British settings changed the way you you think about uh, Jamaica and Jamaica's heritage you mentioned Coromantine and uh, scars on the chest what about west african visits have you contrasted those in your time
4: i, I i've been to south africa a lot for I, i've done many readings in, in southern africa and i'm i'm st- i'm working my i haven't been to west africa yet and i'm still hoping you know you know that will happen hopefully this year when i'm finished but i think you know i i, I the business of Af- our relationship to Africa is always on my mind. It is no matter where I am, it doesn't matter where I find myself. It is somewhere in there. And it usually c- comes in somewhere in my poems. Um, no, I don't think you know what I think what happens to me is that my body is placed in different places places. I to write about Jamaica. Wherever I am, I'm thinking about Jamaica and writing about Jamaica. And nowhere Michigan didn't affect that in, in the least. I wrote some of my most Actually, I think it forced me to write, to go even deeper about, in, about you know, to, to mine stories and information about Jamaica, just because I was away. And there weren't any other Jamaicans there, so it was just, your, I, was, I was just carrying Jamaica, you know.
0: Can we have the microphone up here, please? Is that,
4: yeah. Hi, thank
2: you very much. I I was thinking about two things as I was listening to you, especially in response to the issue about the school you went to at St. Hughes, because I'm from Guyana, and we have a similar sort of history in terms of teaching. And I was thinking about Audre Lorde's statement that the master's tools can't dismantle the master's house. But I was also Mm -hmm. thinking about that alongside what Kamau said about hurricanes not being able to... Howl in iambic pentameter. And... And, and then one of the things that occurred to me, of course, is that that literary tradition we have in the Caribbean comes very much, arises very, or it's very, a crucial part of it is, is that how strictly it was taught by a certain kind of category of people from, the,
5: mm-hmm. the,
2: from, from here,
5: mm-hmm. basically.
2: And I wanted to, to ask about the dialectic of producing kind of quite revolutionary poetry and thinking from that base but ask, at, at the same time, ask you about the engagement with the master's tools and the master's house and so on yes. and that's that's, that's yeah. if that sounds like a question, I'm asking it
4: <laughs> <laughs> okay um <laughs> the, the, the thing is I don't think it's a mas- i don't I think it belongs to me too you know one of my favorite um stories i i I really spend a lot of time thinking about like what how how do you operate on the plantation slavery? What how do you respond to situations? I imagine myself into that in various situations. one of my favourite things respond is apparently some woman was brought before the court was stealing some sugar one time on an estate during slavery. And our defence was simple. She said, Me not tea from master, me take <laughs> <laughs> So if you're asking me that I I don't think it's master's tool. To, I, I take that, you know, I, I have every right to it, you know. I work for it a lot, my ancestors, you know, so I don't see it that way at all. And, um, and the blessing of it too is that, because some of it is offensive, it you you push back against it. And in the pushback, you create something new, you know? I, I, I know that my work is very much informed by Rastafari. When I was growing up, it was a time when Rastafari was in their Old Testament prophet faith. And on the streets of Kingston, you would have these fierce bearded men calling down destruction on Babylon. And if fact, you know, they were just like, they the, the old, like Jeremiah and those prophets in the Bible, that was, that was exactly what they were doing. But that's, a, and, and in the pushback, you will get things like somebody not understanding something, you overstand it because you've been under that subject for too long. So now you have to overstand it. And, and you know, dread talk, all those things, and, and all of those things fed into my work. It, it wasn't um, in my invention, it was in the air. And, a lo- and, and I have six brothers, and they would, they're funny people, they're really funny. So you know, all of these things that they would hear on the street and at school, and all of them are athletes, so when they play, and they're funny, and you know, it's trash talking each other. So between the trash talk and the Rastafarian, and, and they, so all of it, I think that's what happened to my voice. Does that answer your thought?
0: Yeah. Okay, um, I think we'll call it a night, don't? Well, a and night. You wanna, you wanna right. read one more?
4: Yeah, okay. My husband Ted Chamberlain is in the house there. Right, Hi, Ted. <laughs> no, he's. Um, if you're interested in, in a poetry and the West Indies, he has a book called Come Back to Me, My Language, which tells you about poetry and the West Indies. Anything you want to know. It's not a. I'm, I'm not. No, it's It's a beautiful book.
0: I can recommend it. Yes, I read right.
4: it. This is called. Pardon me? <laughs> This is on Mother's Day, all the mothers in the audience. After the great gown of my mother gone down, August, her large heart, slows down and then stops. Fall now and trees flame, catch a fire and riot. Last leaves in scarlet and gold fever burning. Remember when you heard Bob Marley hymn, Redemption song? And from his tone and timbre, he sensed him traveling. He had sent the band home and was just keeping himself company. Cooling star. Sad rude boy fretting on a cowboy box guitar in a studio with stray echo and wailing sound, lost singing scatting through the door of no return. When the green goes, beloved, the secret is opened, the breath falls still, and the life covenant is broken dress my mother's body in a deep green gown, catch a fire and let fall and flame time come after the green gown of my mother gone down. We laid her down full of days, chant grail from the book of life and summon her kin from the long-lived line of David and Margaret. And the blue mountains will open to her to seal her corporeal self in. From that ancient vault which is there Lapis lazuli heart, the headwaters of all our rivers spring. Headwaters wash away the embalmer's myrrh resin, the dredging of white powder, caking her cold limbs, and return her ripe right body clean to fallow the earth. For her eyes to become brown agate stones, from her forehead may they dawn bright mornings, may her white hair contribute to the massing of clouds. Cause the blood settled in her palms to sink into fish-filled lagoons. Earth, she was a mother like you who birthed and nursed her children. The cherubims and angels see her name written down in the index of the faithful in the Mother of Pearl Book of Saints. Mama, Aunt Anne says she saw Aunt Rose come out of an orchard red with ripe fruit and call out laughing to you and that you scaled the walls like two young girls scampering barefoot among the lush fruit groves. My mother's sea chanty. I dream that I'm washing my mother's body in the night sea, and that she sings slow and that she still breathes. I see my sweet mother, a plump mermaid in my dreams, and I wash her white hair with ambergris and foaming seaweed. I watch my mother on the water, gather the loose pearls she finds, scrub them free from nacre and string them on a lost fishing line. I hear my dark mother speaking sea-speak with pilot fish, showing them how to direct barks to bear away our grief. And I pray that my mother breaks free from her fish pots and marine chores of our residence beneath the sea. And that she rides a wild, white horse. Thank you. Thank you very much, Larry.
1: Thanks for listening. To find out more about London Review Bookshop events, visit londonreviewbookshop.co.uk forward slash events.
3: Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter.